You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. Scripture reading this morning is firstly from Leviticus chapter 19, verses 9 through 18. When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the alien. I am the Lord your God. Do not steal. Do not lie. Do not deceive one another. Do not swear falsely by my name and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. Do not defraud your neighbor or rob him. Do not hold back the wages of a hired man overnight. Do not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block in front of the blind, but fear your God. I am the Lord. Do not pervert justice. Do not show partiality to the poor or favoritism to the great, but judge your neighbor fairly. Do not go about spreading slander among your people. Do not do anything that endangers your neighbor's life. I am the Lord. Do not hate your brother in your heart. Rebuke your neighbor frankly so that you will not share in his guilt. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against one of your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Go also to John chapter 13. It was before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who are in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God, and he was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, You do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, a person who has a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean. You are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that and that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth. No servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. I am not referring to all of you. I know those I have chosen. But this is to fulfill the scripture. 
He who shares my bread has lifted up his heel against me. I am telling you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am he. I tell you the truth. Whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me, and whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me. After he said this, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, I tell you the truth, one of you is going to betray me. His disciples stared at one another at at a loss to know which of them he meant. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. Simon Peter motioned to this disciple and said, ask him which one he means. Leaning back against Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, it is the one whom I will give this piece of bread when I have dipped it in the dish. Then dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, son of Simon. As soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. What you are about to do, do quickly, Jesus told him. But no one at the meal understood why Jesus said this to him. Since Judas had charge of the money, some thought Jesus was telling him to buy what was needed for the feast or to give something to the poor. As soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out, and it was night. When he was gone, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself and will glorify him at once. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. The text for the sermon this morning is John chapter 13, verses 34 through 35. Here the Lord Jesus says to his disciples, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Jesus gives his disciples a new command. He gives it as part of a farewell speech. It's a longer speech in the, in John's gospel, which most people refer to as his farewell discourse. And it's the kind of farewell discourse you would hear from an aging relative as he prepares for death. He would probably write up a will or a testament for his children that he leaves behind. He may approach his children, who probably already have children of their own, and he, he wants to talk to them about certain things, final wishes, and maybe even offer some advice for him on how to raise his own children, things like that, things that are important, things that he wants to make sure to get off his chest before he goes. He needs to tell them, this message. And the Old Testament has lots of farewell discourses or goodbye speeches. The one we remember most probably is the one that Jacob gives to his son before he dies. So he gathers his children together around him. His children and his grandchildren are there and he talks to them about their future. He gives them blessings for their future. And he gives them final instructions. Moses gives a famous farewell discourse as well to the people of Israel before they're about to enter into the promised land. Again, he gives them instructions and he gives them um, some blessings and warnings before they're about to enter into the land. 
Well, just like Jacob and just like Moses, the Lord, the Lord gathers His disciples together at the Last Supper. And at the Last Supper, the Lord is carrying the burden of knowing that Judas Iscariot will betray Him to His murderers. And so the time is short and Jesus sends Judas away to get it over with. And as John is recounting the event for us, he gives us a feel for the atmosphere. He tells us that Judas left into the darkness of night and you can almost feel that darkness descending on that table and on the, on the disciples as they sit there. Betrayal and murder in this world gone so terribly wrong. And Jesus will die on the cross. It will happen soon. And then He has to leave. He has to go to the Father. And no one can go with Him. They're stuck here. He's going. And now as that's about to happen, Jesus draws close His disciples and He gives them this final message. He wants them to know that He is the light in this darkness and that the darkness will not grasp it. And after Judas leaves into the night, Jesus begins to give His disciples their final instructions before His death, before He leaves this world. How will they shine in this dark world? Here at the beginning of this speech, He gives them a new command. And so the theme of the sermon this morning, the Lord Jesus gives His disciples a new command to love one another. And we'll see how this involves following Jesus. It also involves showing the world. Well, after his betrayer leaves, Jesus and Jesus draws his disciples in. He calls them his own children, just like a teacher speaking to his students. He says, my children, I will be with you only a little while longer. Words like that, we can expect that something very important will follow. He begins his speech. A new command I give you. Love one another. Well, it's true that God had already given this command in the Old Testament before Jesus came. When God gathered the Israelites around uh, the mountain, He spoke to them. He gave them the Ten Commandments. And the commandments show us how sinful the world had become. The commandments show us that God wanted His people to be different from the world and to live in the way that He created them to be. He wanted His people to love each other by sharing what they have, by protecting them from danger. But instead, they stole and they murdered. And so He gives this command, His commands to this people. He separates them from the world and He says, this is how you ought, you ought to live, by loving your neighbor and by loving God. And now here comes Jesus and He says, I give you a new command. Yet God had given the command to love already. We're tempted to read and conclude that Jesus wants us to give up on the, on the commandments in the Old Testament that, that God gave at the mountain. And in fact, many people have concluded this. Many Christians and Bible readers have said that now God has begun something completely different. He wants us to abandon the Old Testament law 
As if Jesus is saying, well, I guess that didn't work. Let's try this. Everybody just start loving each other. Well, that's not how the commandment is new. And we know it's not new because of how we can read in the Old Testament texts like Deuteronomy 6, verse 5, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18 says, Love your neighbor as yourself. And the Lord even quotes these two texts in the New Testament to say, this is how we summarize the law of God today. So how is the, the command that Jesus gave new? What's new about it? Well, the new part of the Lord's commandment is the standard of love. Not that we love, but the standard of love. God gave the Israelites the opportunity to be different. To live in the right way. To live as He created them to live, but they didn't listen. And so they had an opportunity that they were unable to take advantage of. They couldn't because they were just like the other nations. Even though God set them apart, they were still controlled by sin. And so they couldn't resist the the temptations to love themselves more than others. They couldn't resist the temptation to hurt their neighbors. So when Jesus comes, He gives the new command. Not to replace the old, but, but to show God's people how to live according to God's commandment to love. Not like this, He says. He shows us like this. This is how you love. This is how you follow God's commandments. Jesus is commanding a new depth to His love, to this love. Love as Jesus loved. And so the disciples need to look back. If they're going to follow this commandment, they have to see how does Jesus love And they didn't have to look very far back to see Jesus, to remember that Jesus took off His outer garments, put a towel around His waist, and washed their feet. That was a slave's job. If they were going to love each other like that, they would have to humble themselves. They would have to become each other's slaves and help each other. And they can't be helping each other because of what you'll get in return. We're good at that. You know, you, you get what you put into it. You pay forward, they say. You can't expect to get people to do things for you unless you do things for them first. But that's not how Jesus loved. He washed their feet. He died for them knowing full well that they would never repay the favor ever and that they couldn't. They were unable to. And they would never be able to. His disciples can hardly grasp the depth of Christ's love. How will they imitate Him? How will they do it? Well, Jesus shows them that they can do it. That they'll begin doing it. Also because, in addition to this being a new standard, they've also entered into a new situation. Jesus has brought them into a new situation. And with this situation comes 
new possibilities, possibilities that the Israelites could not have dreamed of. John 16, verse 13 says, But when He, the Holy Spirit, comes, He will guide you into all truth. It's a possibility that the Israelites did not have like we have after Pentecost. And Paul teaches us in Romans chapter 8, the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. Those who are led by the Spirit are children of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you slaves again to fear, but you receive the spirit of sonship. A new possibility to actually begin to live in the way God has commanded us to live in ways that the Jews never could before Pentecost. And so now it's possible because of this new situation to let go, let go of fear, anger, greed, selfishness, deception, violence, lust. We can let go where before we never could because of Christ's Spirit in us. He gives us the power to live to actually live like Jesus lived. So John would write about it again in his letter to the churches at the end of his life. 1 John 2, verse 8, he wants them at the end of his life to get this. Yet I am writing you a new command, he says. Its truth is seen in him and in you because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Christ's command has this new effect in our lives today, in our hearts. For those who hear His words, trust Him, and follow Him, His light shines in us, and we begin to really live. So here are the Lord's disciples huddled around Him, listening intently to this instruction and encouragement. And so far, it seems as if, as if these words spoken to, to His disciples are for, for only the, this close circle. And He even waits for Judas to leave the room. The apostate must leave before Jesus will share this very intimate message about what happens next. And so we might be tempted, many have been tempted to think that the command Jesus gives in John 13 has nothing to do with the world around us. It's for us. And the result of this attitude is devastating to our Christian mission in this world today as if all we need to do is become hospitable to each other and just forget about everyone else. They don't matter. And we're good at that, aren't we? We're really good at being kind and helpful to each other. How good are we at being kind and helpful to our neighbors in the street? But then the Lord adds these words that will not let us get away with that attitude. He says, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And so the Lord is telling us He wants people in this neighborhood to see us living as Christ's disciples. He wants them to be able to see that and notice that. 
That means you've got to show them. So it's true that the disciples have to set themselves apart from the world and be different. But Jesus says, do this before the watchful eyes of this world. Jesus does often warn His disciples that the world will hate them. That's true. They'll hate them because they follow Jesus. But this is not the way that that Jesus is using the, the world in this context. He's using language that's similar instead to what's found in in John chapter 1 verse 7. He, that's John the Baptist, came as a witness testifying to the light so that through Him all men might believe. So not the, the world that will hate you, but the world that needs to see the see and hear the Gospel. Another example in John 3, verse 16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever should believe in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. And John 17, verse 20, verse uh, through 23 is part of the Lord's prayer. It's true He prays specifically for His own people, but then that the future disciples might hear the Gospel. People who are not the Lord's disciples now, but will be because they'll hear the Gospel and believe. And it's important to get this terminology straight because it's true that in John, sometimes uh, John and sometimes the Lord speaks about the world as a, an enemy that will oppose us. And that's true. But not always. And if we read that word as if that's always how the Lord uses it, we'll miss our calling, our missionary calling in this world today. God has a plan to spread His message that the kingdom of Christ has come. And He's chosen to use you guys, all of you, all of His people, to spread that message in our discipleship when we live together as God's people is a testimony to them about who God is and what He's doing in this world today. And Jesus wants them to see it so that they'll believe the Gospel. So how are they going to tell that we're disciples of Jesus? We sometimes put way too much emphasis on externals. Someone will say, we need to dress nicely on Sunday so that people can see us walking to church. Then they'll know that there's Christians in Langley because they'll see us walking into this building. Others will say, we need our children to wear uniforms to school so that people will know in Langley that our kids go to a different school than theirs do. Then they'll see that we're Christians. But I really hope, sincerely hope, that these are not the only ways that your neighbors in Langley know that you're Christians. One generation after the Apostle John wrote his letter to the Christians, to the churches, Tertullian wrote to the rulers of the Roman Empire he wanted to defend Christianity against persecution. They were considered a blight, a threat to the Roman Empire. 
He says, you know, it's true that Christians are different from the people, from most Roman citizens. But then he writes this, it's mainly the deeds of love so noble that lead many to put a brand upon us. See, they say, how they love one another. That's how they could tell. That was the reputation that Christians had all those generations ago. Is that the church's testimony today? Is that what people say about us today? Yes, but look look at how they love each other. We need to fight against sins that make each other love less. Let the world see your self-sacrificing love, your compassion, your empathy, your humility, your willingness to help. Your evangelism. An atheist writer once said, Christians must really hate us if they truly believe that they have the news that will save us all from death, but refuse to tell us. How much do they hate us? When we share the Gospel, we show them that we love them. And we show them how much we love the Lord who gave us this message. Let them see, let them see us visiting, visiting each other in the hospital, in prison. Let them see us making meals, carrying each other's burdens out of selfless love that can only come from Christ. I know that many of you actually do these things and you do them by the grace of Christ in you. Let the world see them. And when they do, when your neighbors see you do them, they will know something different has happened here. They will have to conclude the Christ must have come. His kingdom must be here because all these people are acting just like Him. Now, of course, we are susceptible to the charge that Christians aren't the only people who love. That's true. Love is a general virtue that most people try to attain. And so the the accusation against Christians, lots of people love without God. Lots of people love without the Holy Spirit. You don't need the Holy Spirit to love and they'll show you from their own actions. I'm not a Christian. I don't have the Spirit of Christ in me. But I do things out of love all the time. And they can point you out to organizations which do not profess Christ and actually don't believe in Christ, like Oxfam, that do all kinds of good things for, for those who suffer in the world today, comparable to, to other Christian organizations. You can find groups in Langley as well and all over this country that do good out of love for their neighbor. In fact, they believe that such love is natural to each person and that they they want to find it in themselves and they, they tell you that every person needs to find that love in himself and let it grow and let it overflow but that love is there without God. It's just natural to yourself. 
And they believe that we must continue to love like this until there is no other anymore. And one day we will all live in harmony. That's the goal. Yet this is a Christless love. Humanists want love to win. But they are not convinced that our love for each other depends on our love for God and unity with Christ. Many of these people don't believe God exists. And they don't want it Christ's way. They want it their way. They want their truth to prevail, not God's truth. Well, that's not how we love. And so our testimony when we love each other will be quite different from their testimony. We love as Christ's disciples, as He loves. This is the love that God has for the world. It's the love that God gave when He sent His only Son to die. That whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. This is the love and no other that will save this world. And so, humanist love pretends and wants to be for our salvation, but it will not prevail. And we need to show the world that this is the only love and that this is the only light that can overcome darkness in this lost world. That's our testimony So let people see that we are disciples of Jesus. Let them see our hope that though darkness has fallen, it will not prevail. We are not lost because we have the light of the Gospel. Tell them. Let them know. We want you to come here. We want you to see what what Jesus is doing here among us today. And that this is the love that will save and no other and so, in, in one sense, we have said that Jesus left. He did go to His Father. He gave this command while saying goodbye. But in this other sense, He has not left because His Spirit is here with us. And He's active among us when we begin to live like Him. When we follow His Word in this world and humility. When we lay down our lives for each other in self-sacrificing love. We still follow Him today by imitating His love. This is your badge of membership today. Your badge of discipleship. Show it to the world. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.